Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Thursday, March the 28th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to get back into Brian Flores' comments from the owners' meetings. We're going to ask the question, why the hell is Kiko Alonso still on the roster? And we'll jump in to the Twitter mailbag for your questions. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, anything for the Android app and the new Himalaya podcast app. Also, follow me on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We are the number one downloaded Dolphins podcast in the universe and the number one visited fan page in the Dolphins universe as well. And of course, last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We are just two days away from my wedding departure as I head off to Hawaii. But in the meantime, we have a busy show here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And I know I pointed you guys towards Jason Harina's article up on LockedOnDolphins.com yesterday. But there's just too much that I left uncharted in that article. And for the sake of ultimate transparency with you guys, my audience... Nothing new happened from yesterday in the Dolphins news universe, and I don't have my usual time this week to devote to my Miami Dolphins film and analytics projects, so we revert back to an old topic from yesterday's show, and I promise this won't be a thing in the future, as I have tons of summer projects planned once the draft wraps, and of course we'll have the draft covered starting next week on the podcast with the pre-recorded podcast, all the way through post-draft with our post-draft write-ups on guys that actually do get drafted by the Dolphins. So that'll be fun. It's just not going to happen today. We will get back to our fresh content every single day, but I'm still putting together the final pieces of my wedding, so I just don't have the time to devote right now. But that's not to say we don't have content because we couldn't dive in to all the information in this piece by Jason Harina up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And that's where we start on today's show, getting back into Brian Flores' comments about some of his players. We mentioned Mika Fitzpatrick on the show yesterday, and this is a project I intend to take on, taking a look at his snaps on film, as well as the data from ProFootballFocus.com, whether it's playing free safety, whether it's coming down in the box, whether it's perimeter corner outside, or his best position inside in the slot and that's what Brian Flores talked about quote Minka Fitzpatrick is a football player his strength is that he can play a lot of positions he's versatile I'm not going to give up the goods on how we'll use Fitzpatrick but his versatility will definitely be important and we're excited to work with him so I think you can kind of tell there they have a different plethora of options they can use Fitzpatrick in and it's cool to hear Flores talk about that I do think that Fitzpatrick is going to be his ultimate chess piece. Now, I know Xavier Howard's probably the best player on the defense right now, but Fitzpatrick and his versatility, he's the guy that will kind of be the linchpin to this entire scheme, and they'll build the thing around him, much like the Patriots did with Devin McCourty. 
He went on then to talk about Eric Rowe, who he says is, quote, tall, long, has good speed, tackles well. I'm not sure about the speed because he did get beat deep quite a bit, but he does a lot of things good. He has been hit with the injury bug, Flores says, but when he's healthy, he's a productive player. He will compete to play. He's played the left side, right side, inside, some safety in college, another guy that's versatile. Mentally, he can handle it. He too, we are excited to have. So he's talked about versatility with Jesse Davis, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Eric Rowe. That's the idea here because in this new age, it's not that new really, but in the new age of sub-package football and very well-defined role players in the National Football League, and you can only dress 46 guys, you need some dudes that can play multiple roles. And the Dolphins right now have some of that, and they hope to add more onto that later. And then he talked about TJ McDonald, who he mentions again as another versatile player who can play safety and linebacker and blitz pretty well. I don't know much about that because McDonald, if you go back to the piece on LOD.com talking about how his signing really was one of the worst things the Dolphins did because of what it did to Rashad Jones and his position, but I just don't imagine that he's going to be here for the long haul, and I think a lot of these things that Flores said were kind of just pleasantries being nice about a player that is on his roster because frankly, you're not going to talk negatively about a guy that is currently on your roster, so they have to do it in some ways, and I think that was the thinking there. And then we get to Kiko Alonso, the comments Flores makes about him, and we're going to talk about Kiko in the second segment, but he says he does see Kiko on the roster. He's been a productive player in this league for a long time. His leadership, all the things I hear are positive. That's disconcerting to me, but we'll come back to that regardless. I do think the lack of depth, as Jason mentions in the article at Linebacker, could be the reason that he's still on the roster right now when really he probably shouldn't be. And again, we'll talk about that more in segment number two. And then he talked about the tight ends and how much, there it is again, versatility they have at the position. You have to be able to catch and block. You have to be able to line up at multiple positions. You can have multiple tight ends on the field at the same time. So maybe we'll see more 12 and 13 personnel next year. And having depth at the position, Flores says, is important. It's vital from a practice standpoint because you just need many guys. Part of getting Dwayne Allen and Clive Wolford was because they were veteran guys. So you can say what you want about those acquisitions. I think they're being very clear and rather concise about their plan at the position to help supplement Mike Kosicki's game and do more to complement him, like we talked about on the article and podcast yesterday. And that's the idea behind Dwayne Allen and Clive Walford. And I wouldn't put the idea of drafting a tight end completely out of the realm of possibility either because... That kid from San Diego State we talked about a few times in the podcast, Kale Waring, he is a jacked-up specimen that played in a run-heavy offense, Stanford South, as they call it, at San Diego State. I think he'll be a big-time target, and the Dolphins have met with him recently in the draft process. We'll talk about that more on next week's shows. But to finish up the point here on Brian Flores, he talked about the blur that it's been the last few weeks being a head coach of the Miami Dolphins and really just the last 15 months of his career in general to lose a Super Bowl, to go get a new job after he wins a Super Bowl and being the defensive coordinator for the first time. It's just been a whirlwind for Brian Flores. And that's why I think that maybe part of his first year should be almost a, not a pass, but an evaluation type of year and really put more emphasis on his second year as the head coaching job. Because one, we know the roster won't be great. And two, 
sometimes you got to learn a new job and it has to happen on the job. And maybe that'll happen in year one for Brian Flores. We hope that he can get up to speed by year two when maybe this team is ready to compete because Steven Ross mentions that he hopes the rebuild only takes two years, but he does understand that it could be more than that. They talked a little bit about the perception of the team and Flores gave you the typical New England Patriots type of answer. His focus is on the daily, how to maneuver the pieces overall as an organization to put the best product on the field. He's not going to read into the headlines. And of course, his focus will be on the preparation to put himself in a good position to win football games. They would go on to talk about minority head coaches because, of course, he's a great example of that. His first time go around at the NFL meetings, what he needs to identify as a defensive coach on the offensive side of the football and how the patience will align with his personality in terms of this rebuilding project again. I'll defer you guys to the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And next here on the podcast, we're going to get into my article that published today talking about Kiko Alonso and why the hell is he still on the roster? We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find me on Twitter at NFL and the show at Locked On Fins. A Thursday here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, late March, things winding down a bit from free agency and the owners meetings. It'll be a full on sprint from here to the draft in late April, April 25th to be exact. And we will have the schedule release special for you guys about a week before the draft is usually when the NFL unveils its schedule. And maybe this year will be a little bit different in terms of people not caring as much because there's not as much excitement around the football team. But of course, everybody that will go to road games or want to check out home games, that stuff is important. And last year, we were the first ones on the entire landscape to have the Dolphins schedule. I should be able to get that done again this year. My source is locks is rock solid rather, but I haven't quite gotten him to confirm that he'll be available on the day to make that happen. So we'll come back with that. And then the draft coverage is going to be super, super intensive. If you guys recall last year, or if you're new to the show and don't recall, we had a Alabama equipment manager on the podcast. We had Kalen Balaj, his former coach at Arizona State. We had plenty of stuff talking about these players that got drafted to the Dolphins, as well as their PFF draft stats and the breakdowns and everything you want to know about these guys from their character to their on-field performance and their fit with the Miami Dolphins. We will have you guys locked on all the way through the draft process and post-draft process into the summer, into the season. It's a a 365-day-a-year gig, and that's where we come in today talking about this conundrum in the middle of this rebuild that I can't quite seem to fathom. And if you'll recall, last year, I was very against cutting Mike Pouncey because of the salary demands, because of the injury factor, the fact that he couldn't practice, and really the fact that his play was deteriorating. And you'll say, Travis, he was a pro bowler. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I know. But the Pro Bowl is a popularity contest. It wasn't truly indicative of what his play was on the field. I thought he had a good year. It wasn't a Pro Bowl year. But still, the idea remains the same. That moving on from Mike Pouncey was a definite required necessity for the Dolphins last year. Just to make a change in a new direction. And move on from a too highly paid player that wasn't giving you enough games. And not enough good games when he was healthy. And that's where Kiko Alonso comes in. Because there's this this contingency of Dolphins fans that thinks that this guy is a good player. And I don't fault people for thinking that because a lot of the, 
it's difficult to quantify what a player at his position can do. And so if you don't have the time to go through all 22, and really you shouldn't because you have to be insane to have the time to do this like I do, you're not going to know what it takes and what he actually does on a down-by-down basis. But when you watch every single snap of his on all 22, you recognize the same flaws over and over and over again. He perpetuates the same weaknesses and shows you the lack of inherent ability to recognize and diagnose and be football savvy when it comes to playing linebacker. He just never seems to know when his gaps are, where his gaps are rather, and he always shoots into the wrong one. And I think the reason he might do that is because he does oftentimes shy away from contact and he wants to shoot that gap and get across his man's face and beat him there because once he gets walled off and falls into contact, it's over and it's off to the races for the running back. He cannot break down in the open field. There is no change of direction skill whatsoever. He will never make open field stops in the open field, except for a very few rare occasions. He's a total liability in coverage. He has no pass rush moves in his arsenal, to me, the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com describes it very well. The idea of this piece was that in the midst of this rebuild, the Dolphins are hanging on to a player that basically perpetuates their previous woes of past regimes and past poor decision-making and past reliance on players like this that just aren't cut to play the game at a high level and they're paying him way too much to do it too. And so I talk about the fact that the Dolphins, while positioning themselves very well to make a big move in a couple of years to really rebuild this roster, they have all these resources, but if you don't spend the resources correctly, then it means absolutely nothing. And keeping Kiko Alonso on your roster, to me, signals a concern from an evaluation standpoint. And again, a caveat, Travis, you're just some guy behind a microphone on a podcast and these guys are professional evaluators. Yeah, that's true. And those guys know a lot more football than me, but the evaluators at the pro level get things wrong all the time. And the Dolphins have proven time and time again to get some evaluations wrong. And I just hope this new regime is different and makes a new change in that direction because Kiko has this perception that he's a good player because he finds a few takeaways. He has 12 or 15 or 20 plays a year where he makes a big impact collision or he gets a pick or he finds a a loose football and jars it loose. But you go over the rest of the 1,000 snaps he takes, and there are consistencies in his game that are not good. He can't cover a back in space. A lot of linebackers can't, but he gets embarrassed time and time again. There's a gif of him getting embarrassed by uh, Christian McCaffrey on an arrow route back in the preseason. He finished 24th among 45 qualifying linebackers in PFF's run-stop statistics, which basically accounts for stops within two yards of the line of scrimmage. So about middle of the field in his best trait. Raekwon McMillan, meanwhile, who played 173 fewer snaps than Alonzo, was fourth best in the NFL. Alonzo missed a tackle every 11.6 tackle attempts. That was 37th among linebackers that played at least 150 snaps last year. Blitzing him, I talked about it useless. He applied pressure on just 5.8% of his pass rush reps. That's 68th among linebackers with at least 20 pass rush reps. Of his eight pressures, seven of those were hurries. One was a hit, zero sacks. So literally hit the quarterback one time on all of his pass rush reps. 
playing in coverage, a disaster. And the spot drop in Matt Burke's defense, the complicating defense, is a tough ask for anybody, especially a linebacker. I acknowledge that, but he is still a major liability, finding the curl and hook zones over the middle of the field, getting out to the flat on running backs. He allowed a reception every 8.7 snaps he was on the field and 1.39 yards per target, 18th most among all linebackers in football, and only two linebackers in the NFL allowed more yards after the catch than Kiko Alonso. And so this is a marginal player and only 12 traditional linebackers, which are non-edge rushers, will make more money than Alonzo's $8.3 million cap figure next season. And while if the Dolphins cut him, they really won't get anything back in terms of savings, they'll save $5 bucks if they cut him next year. So I can see the idea that keeping him around for one more year just basically pushes things down the road and you're not trying to really focus on winning games as much this year anyway. I get that approach. But the idea that there could possibly be an evaluation that says that Kiko Alonso is an adequate player and a guy we want to build around, that scares the hell out of me because the number three linebacker in this defense is only going to play roughly 40 to 50% of the total snaps. McMillan and Baker were both better last year. They're both bigger parts of the future. And I just don't see where Alonzo fits. And if this kind of evaluation is what we can expect, then I'm terrified that they put the rebuild project into the wrong hands. Again, I'm going to reiterate, this could be a little bit of going over the top and over-concerned in terms of his future with the team. They could still cut him. They could still trade him. But the idea that Kiko Alonso could be on this team in two years scares the hell out of me. All right, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast and get to some of your Twitter questions. We're not going to get them all today, but I'll finish it up on tomorrow's show. So we'll do that next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. At some point this offseason, not sure exactly when it'll be, I'm going to bust out some Albert Wilson charting, looking at places where he lined up in the formation because he was everywhere, whether it was a plus split or lined up in the slot or in the backfield, he was everywhere in the formation. So I want to explore that as best we can and get you an idea of what we can expect going forward, hopefully with a full season from Albert Wilson. But that'll be in the future. As for now, I want to jump into the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter for your questions. You guys provide awesome content. I answer the questions on the podcast and give you a Twitter shout out as well. Let's go ahead and start here with Chris Larondo. He is at extortion. He says, I am seeing some chatter concerning Rosen to Miami. I know you're not high on him, but what kind of compensation would you think the front office would feel is feasible? Also, good luck on your wedding in Hawaii. I got married in Jamaica last year. Well, congratulations on that, Chris. I appreciate the thought and the comment. As far as Josh Rosen, it comes down to this. Do you like him or do you not? Because if you don't, There's no level of compensation that is worth it if you don't think he's a good quarterback. There's no point in putting the iron in the fire if you don't believe in his upside. And I believe that's where the Dolphins come down, that they just don't care for his character or maybe his overall ability and his lack of ability to get out of pressure and and throw against pressure, as it were, as a quarterback in today's NFL. As far as the compensation, I just... I mean, I think the Cardinals really priced themselves out of a solid return on investment. 
And I think you're looking at a late day two pick, maybe a fourth. I probably think somebody will eventually trade a two or a three for Rosen. But as far as Miami, I wouldn't do anything and I don't think they will do anything. Next question here comes in from Woodwell Street. He is at, let's find your at, at Woodwell Street 2. In 2015, 16, and 17, there were roughly 10 defenses that allowed under four yards per carry. In 2018, that number was cut in half. Are we seeing a new offensive trend develop in the NFL? Well, first off, my friend, that's a fantastic stat and something that sounds very locked on Dolphins oriented. As you know, we are very analytical on this podcast, but The first part of that that really sticks out to me is that you have one year versus three. So I think I need more evidence to prove that it's a trend, but I can see where it's going in that direction because I just think the less teams run the ball, it's going to be more situational, which means you hope they can run the ball more successfully when they find the situations to run the ball. Because a lot of times teams will come to the line of scrimmage and if you're going to play two deep safeties off the line of scrimmage, they'll just check to a run. And it's the teams that fail to adapt to this type of offense that really get left behind in the dust by modern offenses like Kansas City or like what the Patriots do every year. So I think that maybe it could happen. I wouldn't expect it, but let's check back in a couple of years and see if that trend continues in that direction. Next one here comes from David. He is at Sensi27. Do, uh, between the, now and the draft, do you see Gage trading with the Dolphins? No, I do not. I think the divisional trading thing is pretty much non-existent outside of a few moves over the course of the NFL's history. And I think between just knowing how Gaze holds a grudge more than anybody else, as Jeff Darlington has said before, that I don't think he's interested in trying to give the Dolphins any resources. And I imagine that feeling goes both ways. Next question here comes from Zachary. He is at ZHazlett101. If and when the Dolphins spend big in 2020 free agency, who are your top targets? I have to be honest with you, man. It's too far down the road to think about right now. I think you have to look at it from a positional standpoint. Where do the Dolphins come up short this year in terms of finding long-term answers? I think that anytime you get on the free agent market, it's good to look at the positions that have been devalued, like safeties or like the running backs, sometimes tight ends, because you look at what offensive linemen get, for instance, or outside pass rushers. These guys are getting paid so ridiculously high that it really hampers the rest of what you can do or handcuffs you in terms of your resources for other positions. I mean, I love Trey Flowers, but $18 million per year, That's just a contract that nobody can love up to except for the elite top-level players in the game. And I do think Flowers is close to that level, but he's not, I mean, let's be real here. He's not, you know, J.J. Watt in his prime or Khalil Mack or Von Miller or whoever you want to put in that position. That's not what Trey Flowers is. So I think that you have to avoid those positions. And that's why Miami should draft heavily at those positions if they want to save some money that way, either this year or next year. Next question here from Brandon Heron at FinFan for Life91. In a trade down scenario, would you rather receive a 2019 second and a third or a 2020 first round pick? That's a really good question because there really is no interest level in the NFL in terms of next year's fourth round pick being worth less than this year's fourth round pick. It's all straight across. But To go back to your question, give me the first round draft pick because let's say a team does that that has maybe a volatile roster, like maybe a quarterback that could be prone to injury. Like if it were the Steelers, for instance, and Roethlisberger got hurt and they don't have Le'Veon Bell and they don't have Antonio Brown anymore. Like if he went down and the Steelers just bottomed out, it's like the Texans back in 2017 with the Browns. You can end up with a top five draft pick that isn't even yours organically. So give me the first round pick because you never know what could happen and how high that pick could go. 
Let's do one more here. Again, we'll get to the rest of these on tomorrow's podcast. I don't really have much content planned for the show because tomorrow is go time for the wedding, but we'll get through the Twitter mailbag. This last one here comes from Alex Costa. He is at A underscore Costa 24. Looking back 50 years from now, which one stands out more, Miami Miracle or the Wildcat in New England? Um, that's another good question. I think the Wildcat, because it developed a trend in the NFL that didn't last very long because the Wildcat stayed for, what, two or three years? And there are some instances where it gets ran today, like Kalen Balaj, for instance, loves to run it with the Dolphins. But I think that it put a new package into the league that we still see today, and that will have a longer-lasting impact on the NFL than what the Miracle did, which really outside of Dolphins fans and a few of those crazy highlight videos you see down the road, no one's really going to care about that because at the end of the day, the Dolphins lost the rest of their games and the Patriots went on to win the Super Bowl. So I'll say the Wildcat for that reason. And in addition to the mailbag on tomorrow's show, we'll have a mock draft and that's going to be basically it for the entire week. But don't fret, we've got shows uploaded and ready to go next week. Monday, we have the offensive coordinator of the College of William & Mary, Brennan Marion, also a former Miami Dolphin. A great interview there. Excited for that podcast to come out. Tuesday, we talk about the quarterbacks in the draft. Wednesday is the rest of the offense, receivers, running backs, tight ends, and offensive line. Thursday is the front seven, and Friday is the defensive backs and a Twitter mailbag you guys already put in for that one as well. And to coincide with those podcasts, we'll have an article up every day to coincide with those positions we talk about on the podcast, the traits the Dolphins look for each position, my own personal big board, which will be a live document with adjustments up until draft day, reported draft meetings. I have been tracking these for a while, as well as some help from our featured columnist at LockedOnDolphins.com, Kevin Dern, who will also be authoring his own defensive draft preview very soon. That is an article you do not want to miss every single year. So the content here, it never stops. will always be the daily dose and daily source for Dolphins football. But with that, I got to get out of here today. If you guys have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, you can pull up the podcast right away. Just say play Locked on Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new podcast app, Himalaya. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked on Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Locked on Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.